Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only and longest-running Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Every week on Sunday and in or around Sunday, we are bringing you behind-the-scenes stories of what happened with every episode in chronological order for your listening pleasure. My name is Mitchell Mel, Chief Consultant Services of Paramount. With me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Now, before we get into um, our very important discussions... Uh, I believe somebody has some explaining to do with something that they posted on the Ready Room Twitter account without me knowing until it blew up and I had to find all these responses. So, uh, you want to explain that for us, Brandon? Well, Mitch, Mitch, um, all I can say is that... uh, you know, I'm not perfect and I, I don't I don't proclaim to be. And you know, if you start digging through my old posts, mm-hmm. you're gonna find some things that, you know, maybe maybe aren't acceptable in the modern day, you know. Mm. Um so, you know, this post was what, three, four days ago? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can't we can't all be held responsible for things we've done in the past. It's true. Um, it was a different time, I feel. I'm, I mean, I'm willing to forgive and, and move on. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that the ensigns are as reasonable. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, th- I think they will be. Cultures change, right? Well, you know, yes. Um, you know, I think we're a very progressive podcast. We have very progressive content, but I think we've cultivated a very anti-cancel culture fan base. Yes. Um, Which, you know, cancel culture is, it's possibly the worst thing that's ever happened historically. I think Um, so. Um, I remember that time, um, God, 60, 70 years ago by now, where they canceled all those Jews just terrible yeah. yeah and then all those all those soviets got canceled right it was it's, um, it's an epidemic don't forget don't forget the french cancellation oh jeez of the the 18th century now um one one of my favorite bands um system of a down they're always talking about a mm-hmm. particular cancellation um, uh, one yes. that that our president Joseph Biden recognized. He said, "This this is a cancellation," mm. and it's calling attention to these this this culture, these issues. That's important. yeah, yeah. Although I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that one. Oh, I see. But you know. Um, Look at that Shang Chi fella. Yeah, just look at him. Just look, just just look at him. <laughs> just look at him. Oh, 
Mish. Oh man. <clears throat> yep. He he wasn't a part of Star Trek, but I'll still look at him. Yeah, um, he wasn't a part of Star Trek, but he could he could play an alternate universe. Uh, George Takei. He could. He could. Um, they're basically the same. I'm not sure what who's uh, Chinese and Korean, but you know, yeah, just look at him. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he looks like a young George Takei. He does. He is um, quite. How do how do I put this delicately? Um, flamboyant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Yes. You know, he's a little, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, um, I think he's trying to, uh, trying to cover that up. Now, um, how do we feel about the, um, our, our Asian male, um, romantically frustrated ensigns? Hmm. Well, you know... I th- I think I think the world has really done them dirty, you know. Mm, mm. Could you expand on that? Uh, it's it's not their fault. It's not it's not their fault that you know the white man, um, and the Asian woman are the the perfect couple, you know. Mm. Um, and you know I understand there's not enough. Asian women left for them, but it's just the way the world works. You know, maybe they can they, they can date someone else. Well, it's some other race. You have to consider how amazing it is that there's not enough Asian women left for them when one considers the population of um China, India, and um other mm. densely uh populated Asian locations. Yeah, well, you know, um you know the old statistic I do. 20% of the men get 80% of the women, right? That's It's that's... called hypernogamy. Hyper hyper right? I think hyper hyperogamy. Like hyper, or, like oh, okay. like origami. Yeah. Like origami. Right. Right, cuz it, it is an Asian thing. Right, right, right. Right. Okay. Or scorigami huh. if you're familiar with that. Mhm. Mhm. So it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot to take in. I can understand the position those ensigns um, frequently espouse, and um, you know, and even Shang Chi himself, um, you know, he's he's in on it. You know that that something's going on. Now here's a question: When they did the wrap of the shoot of um, Shang Chi, you know, they they finished shooting, and you know, you take a commemorative picture. Did the photographer? Hold up the camera and say Shang Chi's. You know what? Uh-huh. If he didn't, I would be disappointed. I'd be disappointed too. And uh, I'll have to, you know, call in. Let's call some of my connections to confirm uh, what happened. But um, keep hope alive. Twenty twenty one. Hashtag mm-hmm. Shang Chi's. Hashtag Shang Chi's. Do you have anything burning a hole in your mind? This week, any topics that you have to get out of your pocket? Hmm. 
I don't I don't think so. There's uh there's that that missing white girl. There is that missing white girl. Once I found out she was white, I started to care. And um Oh, see, once I found out she was white, I stopped caring. You know, we're not allowed to to I don't think we should be allowed to discuss stuff like this when, you know, the minority population is dealing with um so many issues that's true but it's it's strange for me i always considered myself an intersectional radical feminist and Mm -hmm. um of course i'm you know if if these these crimes befalling women i'm very very in tune with the the patriarchal root causes of them but at the same time if my feminism only includes white women then it's not really feminism so i'm torn in two directions here um Neither of well, them, neither could, of them will just, save this girl, but, you know. <laughs> you could just be uh, less intersectional than you thought you were. I always, Maybe you're intersectional. Ooh, I don't want to be intersectional. I want to be intersectional. Um, mm-hmm. I almost said intersectional, but that, uh-huh. that's something else. So, it's tough. I'm really having a bit of an identity crisis these days, and um, my support groups mm-hmm. aren't very helpful. Um, they, uh, what are they saying? They always ask me to take my hood off. Ah, uh, which, you know, whatever. See, that's just, that's just insensitive. It is. It's, um, it's a culture. It's not a costume. Yeah. 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 I don't know. If they have a problem with it, then maybe they're not, uh, maybe they're not your friends. You the, know? Maybe they're not my friends. Are you my friend? Well, I mean, are you going to take your hood off? Are you going to ask me to? You know what? For the interest of the podcast, I don't think I will. Thank you. That's a friend right there. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I've been missing. I also yeah. want to point out I consider the Ensigns to be my acquaintances. Uh, oh. It's the most I'll allow them. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a big deal. It is a big you know? deal. If you... If you're putting, um, you're filling out a job application, you need a reference, you can write my name down, you cannot write my phone number, and um, hopefully that'll get you far. That's that's what I'll Here's a I'll question. Yes. Have you been recognized yet out in the wild? For my, my service? For 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 the, the podcast, the Ready Room. Right, yeah, that's, I, that's my service. Um, oh, right. Yes, I have. Um, I was actually at a Denny's, and mm. you know, it was me and uh, you know, I don't. I won't say who I was with privacy, but uh, we were sitting down and we were ordering, and you know, I sometimes I like to do the radio voice, the podcast voice, mm-hmm. just when I'm in and around town, and mm-hmm. uh, I said, "I'll have a grand slam, please," and oh. the the server looked up. And said, "Are, are, are you, are you Mr. Hulse? And um, you know, I got a little embarrassed. And I'll admit it. <laughs> but you know, I guess like gave a, a a knowing nod, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of the the shush gesture with a wink, like you know, keep it on the DL. But um, yeah. I I actually tipped that server, so you know, I kicked them a little something for for being part of the Ensign fam." Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, you have to uh, when when you're recognized like that. You know, you you have to you do have to tip. Well, um, I didn't feel obligated, 
you know, I could, you know me, I'm bulletproof. I could survive just, a, a mean tweet. As as a public figure, though, it's just the uh, it's it's probably the best thing to do. But you know, you're right. It is a little embarrassing. My um my local Starbucks um uh, that I've been going to mm-hmm. probably uh, since a couple months ago. I I went in there. You know, I was standing in line. There were probably about like eight or ten people in front of me. And uh, one of the staff comes over to me and she says, you know, Brandon Hobbs, why are you waiting in line? Ooh. You know, um, and it's, oh, it's just it's just so embarrassing. But, um, you know, I looked around, everyone was staring at me, giving me these dirty looks. And uh, I was like, you know, I don't know. And uh of course, I uh, I moved to the front of the line and I got my coffee early. Um, did did you I sp- did tip as well? Did you spit on the ground as you left? No, 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 uh, no. The, the, you know, these are these are our fans. Well, I mean, um, the 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 one or two uh, baristas you interacted with, but Starbucks and Denny's as chains, they're not our fans. Well, they could be. Let's not badmouth possible sponsors. All right, that's true. Um, by the way, uh, starting on uh, what day is it? It's 26th. So starting in two days, September 28th, you can order Moon Over My Hammy at Denny's. Um, $8.99. Wow, Mitch, that's interesting. Yes. Yes, it is. And I will be going to Denny's. We love to see you, Benny's. Yeah. Uh, my favorite dish is the Grand Slam. Oh, yeah? What do you like about the yeah. Grand Slam? Well, it's cooked to perfection. As is everything at Denny's. That's right. So go to your local Denny's and tell them, uh, make sure you say readier as you complete your order for 5% off your subscription. Right, right, right. And that's um, that's that's when the waiter comes over. Right, right. So he he approaches your table. You have to say it before he says anything. Um, so it's kind of like a game of Uno, right? The waiter right. comes over. He kind of is fast, readier, and uh, right, then right. he knows because you you have to be readier than he is. Exactly, exactly. That's right. If you're not readier, readier, then you just don't qualify for the for the discount. Right. If you're not readier, then are you really readier? Right. Is it, the question. It's like the inverse of 30 minutes or less, so your pizza's free. And it's like now the, mm-hmm. now you have to put up or, or shut up. Yes. Yes. Um, we want to cultivate um, an audience that's successful here. Right. I think. Just general readiness in, in yeah. the world. You know? Yeah. If everyone was a little readier, then. Um, we as a society we would have been better equipped to handle pandemics, genocides, cancellations, um, mm-hmm. all that stuff. All those nasty things. Yeah. So those icky things. You know what we always say here at the Readier Room uh, that it all starts at Denny's. So be sure. That's right. To, yes, That's right. Be sure to take advantage of this offer. Um, it's it lasts until um, May Day of next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So you got a long time, long time to take advantage of this offer. And uh, and don't forget, Denny's here, your family. Well, I think that will 
bring us to our question of the week, which uh, this week comes from Question 2000, the question asking robot. And question, wow. question asks, beep boop, what is your favorite Riker episode? Beep beep, thank you for all that you do, boop, stay ready here. End transmission. All right. So, for Riker episodes, I know you and I are both fans of um, James T. Riker. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a wealth to choose from, up to and including the Riker flashback episode in season two. Whichever. Oh yes, I can't wait to get to that one. Got a lot to say about it. Yeah, but to not blow our proverbial load too early, um, talking about a Riker episode from that we're not going to get to soon. Recently, I'd rewatched. Um, I don't even remember the name of it, but the one where Riker is in the mental institution and he's kind of like jumping between there and the Enterprise. I'm trying to remember that too because that was going to be my pick. It's so good. It's incredible. The acting is not, but the scenario is. It's it's one of those episodes that I would show to someone who had never watched Star Trek before, never watched TNG before, and say, you know, if you like this, you'll probably like TNG. I like that approach. Um, I'm going to open a carbonated beverage. There we go. Um, I like that approach, but... I will say that that is in kind of the upper 10th percentile, or 90th percentile, I guess, of, of um, TNG episodes, right? So if you show that to somebody first, not a lot of episodes are not going to reach that high. But conceptually... Yeah, I suppose so. Conceptually, but it is what TNG is about. Just Just knowing that some episodes do reach that high, I think, is kind of inspiring for, for people. Mm. You know, I th- I think there's um kind of an idea, a stereotype among most people that Star Trek is, you know, dull, mm. um, too hard sci-fi kind of. Well, that's the image it always had relative, especially because it was compared to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and that's obviously the more fantastical oriented um more about uh, one hero's adventure, uh, a lot more heart. Even though Star Trek does have a surprising amount of heart, but when, and then they... and look, yeah. even in the even in the eighties, by that point, we're talking about a show that that first aired in the sixties. So it's kind of like out of vogue, mm. you know. There was also the first Star Trek, the motion picture, which was. Uh, I don't know, akin to 2001 in just (laughs) how dry and slow it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember talking to somebody recently. I was getting their opinions on the Star Trek uh, films. And Mm. they were going on and on and on about whatever one it was where they go to San Francisco to save some whales or something. And... um, I was like, well, what do you think of the first one, the motion picture? And they're like, oh, I, I fell asleep. I didn't really watch it. I, I mm-hmm. wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. For your average person, that's that's what Star Trek is a lot of the time. Right. Well, um, on the topic of the fourth film, where they where they saved the whales or whatever, um, 
that's the best one because they go back in time and we like to see that star trek star trek for um save the whales gotta save something was the direct inspiration for um upcoming picard 2 right right mm. i think i think we actually talked about this on the previous uh we did but i'm just podcast. i'm just shedding some more light on it you know how all, oh, okay how there's this intricate tapestry of star trek that is all woven together and mm-hmm. um all informs on one another yeah and i i don't think we can stress enough just how much everyone involved with star trek really loves to put these characters in 20th century america mm. you know there's or canada or Canada, Toronto. Canada's mm-hmm. honorary America, for what it's worth. Yeah, basically. Would you have a second favorite Riker episode? Second favorite Riker episode. That's a tough one. I know there is one, but I... Um... What's the one where he... He goes undercover, like as an alien. Um, that's well. That actually happens in the one that uh, he's uh, in the mental institution. But there's also the one where he's undercover in a alien race that's on the verge of space yes, travel. Yes, that's the one. Mm-hmm. And it and it becomes like a first contact episode because that might be one of them. Yeah, that's where that weird alien nurse is like. Trying to jump Riker's bones in the operating room. Which I clapped at, personally. Well, I, if I recall correctly, we got some, some actress or comedian to, to play that mm-hmm. role. I, I don't quite mm-hmm. remember who, though. Once they get yeah. under the makeup, they're, they're it's all the same person to me. Yeah. I mean, once, once we start... Going over that episode for the podcast, I'm sure we'll have more information on that. Mm-hmm. Join us in uh, three years when we mm-hmm. get to that. Oh, is that all? That's all. I mean, when oh. after you hit 50, three years is a drop in the bucket. <laughs> That's true. It goes by like a flash. Right. Like the flash, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a superhero. He's, he runs quickly. He is. Yes. So, I want to thank Question 2000 for your question. Um, if you're like Question 2000, the question-asking robot, and you want someone to answer your question, you can email us at thereadyourroom at gmail.com or send us a DM on Twitter at thereadyourroom. Ask us anything you want, usually about Star Trek, but not entirely. We'll probably answer it if it's good. And, yeah, join us next week for another question of the week. Join us this week now for some primo discussion on the royale which is the royale the royale royal royal royale which is uh episode 12 of season two mm-hmm. that's um, right i think we're now more than halfway through season two i think it's, or maybe is it what, what do we have 23 episodes yeah something like that it's not the normal 26 that we inevitably settle on right right so Thank God, we're all, we're almost to the the, bear, the bearable part of this fucking show. I know, I know. It's only we're getting there. It's only been nine months. So, what did you think of the Royale? 
I didn't. I didn't think of the Royale. I prefer not hmm. to think of the Royale. Maybe. Yeah. I. It's 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 hard because this is by a long shot not the worst episode. It is just so no. exceedingly average. Um, that I struggle to form a very strong opinion of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh... While I was watching it, I guess I expected it to be worse than it was. Um. <laughs> well i mean it's once that you see the casino set yeah no i don't blame you i don't blame you at all i get what you're saying right and then it's like surprisingly decent but still not great but by by then you've already kind of checked out yeah when you check out that early it's kind of like it it really has to pull you back in and it does not pull you back in at all no it's it's the epitome of you can check out but you can never leave so. <laughs> <laughs> um what did you yeah, think this, so so um i'm probably about of the same mind as you i was very bored i spent most of the episode checking my emails very nice um cutting my fingernails uh, doing just about anything else uh, besides watching the episode can i I tell you about my recent star trek ritual sure let's let's hear it so i've um i've recently started after uh watching more tng not just for the purposes of the podcast but just just to unwind which i'm surprised that i'm doing but i'll go to you know work (laughs) come home whenever you know these long shooting days and um i'll turn off the lights in my in my house put on an episode of tng and watch and and eat curry while watching it and wow Every one of those steps is very, very integral to this ritual. If the lights are on, it's not as comfy. If I don't have curry, it's not, and it's a different food, it's not as enjoyable. And, um, <laughs> and of course, TNG itself lends a certain magic to the proceedings. But um, I have done this maybe the past three or four nights. So I've eaten curry wow. three or four nights in a row. <laughs> curry and TNG is a nice combination. I will agree with that. It's comfy. Um, I I recently had a dream where I was cuddling with Worf. That's problematic. Is it? I don't know if Michael consented to that dream. Oh, no. Mitch, I didn't think about that. No, I didn't get the chance. Oh, God, now he's going to hear this. Just tweet at him. um, At the Worf. Um... I, uh, sorry to bother you, but I recently had a an intimate dream with you, and I wanted to ask for consent. Just, well, just tweet that at him; it'll be fine. Maybe one of the ensigns can do it. That yeah, that's good. Um, ask for consent just, uh, on on Brandon's behalf. Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, but anyway, to, to to get back into the episode at hand, look, it's so boring. We already stopped talking about it. <laughs> um, this this episode was actually going to be filmed uh for season one it, it was feels it was that like far a back. season one episode yeah it was that far back conceptually um it was originally going to be so tracy's script was originally going to be a lot more surreal uh more focused on the astronaut um who was alive mm. uh, and it would be like a time loop thing or it, something like that it does kind of set itself up to be a time loop right it does yeah he, the the astronaut mentions in his diary that these events keep playing out 
and you can imagine the Enterprise right. crew going through a loop or two. Totally, totally, yeah. And it just it doesn't do that, but yeah, that was that was the original concept, and I you know I think most of us did like the original script at least a little bit more, um, but for many many reasons the producers were not really having that version of the script. Um, so much so that Tracy um, would change his name to to Keith Mills to be credited for this this episode. Just kind of threw away all credit for it. Um, a lot of drama there. But the end product, the final episode, it was... Yeah, it was just it was just really boring. It it wasn't it was it was cute and funny, but not funny enough. Mm. It wasn't um particularly thrilling. The mystery wasn't interesting. No. The characters weren't interesting. You can you can imagine iterations of this that does each of those different things, one of them well. For example, mm-hmm. where they find out they're trapped in the Royale um, that could have been a lot more tense or creepy uh, of a scene, but it was just kind of Worf pushing on a wall and being like, well, I guess, I guess we're <laughs> trapped here. Um, yep, yep. The humor could have been played up. Now, there were two um, explicitly funny moments um, in, in this episode that, that I identified, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was the, the score for the <laughs> yeah the scenes of like the the bellboy talking to the assistant manager yep. um like that that o- overly ridiculous lounge music yes it was it was almost almost parody right and that was funny and then later on when they uncover the astronaut riker's like oh he died in his sleep and then Worf just out of frame mutters oh what a terrible way to die <laughs> which was pretty good oh my god yeah um i i don't i don't remember who played the astronaut but it was actually his final role in a tv show yeah we we kind of i i so. remember he pledged his retirement and we kind of gave him a send-off yeah it was uh it was beautiful i think i mean very very good job but um in terms of funny i i enjoyed wharf calling the elevator's turbo lifts. Oh, that was also good. I, I I saw that moment. I didn't. It didn't register to me as overtly comedic, other than um, consistent with the lore, I suppose. But it, it was a, yeah. it, it was a nice bit of writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just just the way they acted around the the. I mean, it's it's um it's the natural conclusion of placing these characters in an age where elevators are the way they are um in our time but right. uh it's it's funny nonetheless i mean they, they they did it well they walk up to it and it doesn't just automatically open it's like oh this is malfunctioning <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah it's the button <laughs> more of that fish out of water writing that's why we love to send them back in time <laughs> are fish out of water jokes the bottom of the barrel of just comedy writing are they worse than puns Possibly. I mean, they're very easy to do. Right. Especially especially in science fiction like this. So maybe. I, I, I'm picturing the um the gross exaggeration of a fish out of water um joke where so just take any random sci fi setting. Character goes back in time to the nineteen fifties and they're in some house and they see a blender 
and they just, well, what's this? And they stick their hand inside of it and turn it on and just <laughs> mutilate themselves. It's like, ah, and then some, someone runs in. No, that's not how you use a blender. And then they take out like their bloody stump of a hand. And, yeah, yeah. Like, like this. And you, they put some fruit in and then everybody has yeah. a laugh. Now that would be silly. That would be silly. We like silly. We do. We do like silly. Um, so God, where, where else to go here? The, the sets I thought were God awful. I think, I think they were God awful. I kind of liked the hotel room set, if only because, um, hotel rooms and, uh, hallways, it was also that cheap hallway set by definition mm. look artificial um yeah and the cheapness of it somehow played to the strength of what that was supposed to be but the lobby set i i thought was really really uninspired the the lobby was first of all it's nothing like any casino looks at all right um it's too interact too anachronistic for the time period we're supposed to be set in right because that's that's um, the 22nd or 23rd century or something no, I don't think so. the The guy, um, the guy that da- Texas, mm-hmm. uh, I think, says he has like a uh, a car from like the nineties in the in the parking lot or something out front. I guess it was the book that was older than the the vessel. It's, yeah, that's the thing. And okay. it's like you know you could explain all this. So I mean, so as I was saying, the casino is too anachronistic to be in this age at all. And I mean, it's it's too everything's too spaced out you'd never see that like at all it's just the interior design is horrible and um mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a hotel lobby with um, a functioning casino in it rather than Mm. a a dedicated casino and i'm not quite sure i guess so the how realistic that is to begin with yeah so i don't know it but it certainly Um, certainly does not look like a good set Right, right. Uh, it it was obviously very cheap, very cheaply made. Mm. Um, and well, I forgot what I was going to say about it. I, I thought I had a point, but uh, no, I just I just hated it. It's ac- anachronistic, you said, which is true. Yeah, I and oh oh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. It it could be explained away by the fact that, and we'll get into more of this either now or later, how stupid this is, but it could be explained away by the fact that aliens built it and they didn't have a frame of reference for anything except the uh, admittedly poorly written book. Right. Which, yeah, that's logically consistent, but not a very satisfying explanation. No, no. Um, and I, I don't think it is the explanation uh, from a meta standpoint at all. No, I think it was just we're shooting cheap television. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And that's why everything has to look like this time period where we barely and need any costumes. Just the elderly people can the, show up in what they own. Yes. And, and you know, the ensigns can explain it away any way they like, but... Uh, you know, you're you're hearing it from the horse's mouth here. It was just a bad set, and it was a terrible set. We talked about how it inspired um, the feelings of just sorrow and resignment of, uh, on us mm-hmm. while seeing it. 
you know, when the camera cuts to it and we're just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm done with this episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, they they walk into that casino and it's just like, I, you know, I didn't sign up for this. this the set itself is very deflating to the episode. That's how bad it, it is. It is. But also partly because it's, again, another set in like the 20th century. Which, which we don't need any more of. Which is very annoying because the hook of this NASA vessel is from the, the 23rd century. It's got 52 stars. It's uh, yeah. it's not so far into the future, but it's not our time either. Like, that's that's interesting, you know? Um, exploring this uh, alternate past yet our future so it's still speculative mm-hmm. like that's a cool idea and um they touch on that for a, for a line a line of dialogue yes. and then it's you know 20th century casino yeah yeah um this just goes back to my constant pet peeve with with star trek where everything uh in the show's past has to also be our past the the, the writers refuse to make up a past uh for for the context of the show you want you, know, you want to write a characters go back to the past episode make them go back to the near our near future like have them go back to 2000 yeah uh, 100 but 10. you know that would be bad for the budget it would be bad for the budget you know everything would have to have random plastic rings glued onto it Mm-hmm. show how futuristic yeah. it is right right everything would have to be like very round yes uh translucent plastic yeah yeah i can't wait for that it's it's lame star trek's fucking lame <laughs> <laughs> yes i th- this this episode really evokes that feeling so here's a question speaking of lame What's your opinion on when they initially beam down to the planet and they're in a black void with one revolving door? Um, we, you know, I said how seeing the casino set really took the wind out of my sails, but the three of them, Riker, Worf, and Data, standing in a black void was also a pretty head-scratching moment. <laughs> I don't know, because that had places it could have gone, I guess. I mean, a black void and a revolving door offer more to the imagination than a poorly constructed casino set. That's true, but that's that feels a little unfair, or, or should I say overly charitable? Because, yeah, you put a black void anywhere and the mind is just going to wander. To fill <laughs> yeah, it. that's true. I mean, it's kind of just the natural, uh, the natural conclusion to to you like extrapolating, right on the scene. This this is this is why improv theater works. You know, right? S- somebody's just standing there with no props or anything, and they're just miming, um, you know, baking a pie or whatever, and you're like, oh my god, they're really baking a pie. Right, 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 and and people usually are much more charitable when it comes to improv than they are with scripted, yes, comedy, um, understandably. So yes, I guess you're right, but 
you know, it's it's a scene where I um I still didn't know just how bad it was gonna get, you know. So yeah, if only, in that way, it's it's better. If only you knew how bad things truly were. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. A lot of fun though on the set with that revolving door. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I remember this. This is probably the TNG memory that sticks with me that pops into my mind while I'm in the shower, before I go to bed, while I'm in traffic, you know, whatever. Um, so Jonathan Frakes was, you know, he had to go through that revolving door a few times. And of course, it's not like mm -hmm. it, we just have people kind of pushing parts of the door and we didn't even have the whole revolving door, but. We had people kind of pushing parts of it, and the actors kind of had to time it so, to walk through to not break the illusion. <laughs> right. And, right. you know, Brent and Michael, it was fine. They saw the speed of the door, and they'd, they'd speed up to go through it. And Frakes just wasn't playing ball. He would <laughs> intentionally walk slower than the door was going so that it would bump into the back of him, and the people manipulating the prop had to slow it down. And then he would speed yep. up so to catch them off yep. guard again. We did like ten takes of this, and I, you yep. know, between like takes ten and eleven or whatever, I asked John, like, "What are you doing? Why, why can't you just walk through the door?" And this is what I will remember until I die. He he looks me straight in the eye and says, "Sometimes you need to remind the door who pushes who." And huh. <laughs> I'm I. That's actually uh, that's actually a little bit deep. It is. I'm not quite sure what he meant by it, but it's. I've thought about this constantly. <laughs> well, the, uh, the 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 door drama was further compounded by the fact that um, we we couldn't afford to set up a door that rotated 360 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. um, as we already talked about, uh, this was a, an extremely cheap set. We were trying to keep the uh, the budget down for this episode. Um, you know, despite all the the kind of new sets we were using, so um, we, we we used a little bit of an optical illusion for this door. It would only rotate 180 degrees, and then we would use like a stop motion sort of method. Hmm. Um, so, not only did the the actors need to be synchronized, um, we had to make sure that this cut was completely clean. You know, between the two rotations, right? Them entering so, and then exiting the door. Yeah. So. Um, Frakes, Frakes was annoying basically everyone on the set that day. Um, I, I hope, I hope the doors at least learned something. Well, I mean, according to Frakes, God, this is just, uh, it's, it's food for thought. It's, it's, it's chicken soup for the soul. It is, know? it is chicken soup for the soul. It's chicken soup for the prop master's soul mm-hmm mm -hmm. maybe he learned something maybe he did i know he learned uh, how how much he hated jonathan frakes <laughs> we all have to learn that someday yeah and uh you it's can't inevitable. can't be in this line of work no matter what production you're on for too long without uh cultivating a rich earned hatred for jonathan frakes mm-hmm mm -hmm. um so we uh not just with the door but we had a lot of fun with uh with most of the set actually uh, in our off hours didn't we Yeah so um, you can't set up a bunch of casino tables props or not without you know people cutting loose after a day's work Right right 
So especially John, it's always John. I don't know why John <laughs> is the nexus of activity on on TNG, but well, but, it it, uh, it wasn't just John. It wasn't just John, but he's 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 there somewhere. He's the he's catalyst. The instigator. Yes. Yeah. So this time it was him and Michael, and Michael's usually a pretty tepid, reserved individual, but not this time, I suppose. Him and John <laughs> in a match of bravado or recklessness. I don't know Sheer what. Sheer masculinity. Yes. Machismo. Um, there you go. Challenged one another to a game of, quote, heads up, strip, blackjack, mm-hmm. which is a harrowing event to think about with these guys. But um, they needed a dealer, so they just kept cons- conscripting female extras until they would, you know, just inevitably run away from how you know or uncomfortable it was <laughs> watching these two like big tall guys just stripping in front of them yep yep and it was one of those things where it starts off and people are like you know feeling the 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 contact high of the moment and we're like yeah oh hollering woo it's fun and then you know 10 minutes into it it's tapering off and then 20 minutes into it we're all just <laughs> Like oh, people start going. walking away. Yeah, um, and then and then you know, there's only like a handful of people left, just kind of watching these guys quietly take their clothes off. I remember Michael was down to his underwear, and Frakes had both of his socks on, and the only the last dealer said, "All right, I'm gonna pack in for the night." Frakes reached across the table to grab her arm and um, hold her there. Said mm-hmm. the game's not over yet, and um, I I couldn't bear to stay any longer. So I had to yeah. duck out at that point. Yeah, um, we're lucky in a lot of ways that uh, that we didn't get shut down. We are um, <laughs> for this. So I the the lore goes that Michael ended up winning. So I guess Frakes really lost his shirt that night. Huh. Huh. <laughs> I guess so. Enough um, enough of this bullshit. Um, so at the beginning of the episode. Let's talk about the events of the episode chronologically, a.k.a. the most um, thrilling way to recap something. <laughs> okay, um, so so they uh, a Klingon cruiser tells them that there's like a ship floating in atmosphere or something of some planet. Already, now, already this is strange. Yes, um, because the Klingon ship tells them this? Yeah, it's like, who cares? Yeah, who gives a shit? I agree. I agree with that. I don't think Klingons would ever concern themselves with that, nor would they stop a human ship to to chat about it. But, you know, whatever. Um, They're allies, so we'll take that as a given. Now, Jordy records a temperature at the beginning of this episode that is impossible to exist. It's it's below absolute zero. Oh, tell me more. I, I don't know about this. I can't remember what the temperature actually was. We'll have to check the script here. Was it like two degrees Kelvin? Um, what, what other wacky temperatures do I know? He says he says nasty. Nasty. Nitrogen, meth- methane, liquid neon. Surface temperature minus 291 degrees Celsius. So that's below absolute zero. The, the complete absence of heat. That's below absolute zero. That's amazing. Sorry. It's it's impossible for that to exist. We're, we're usually pretty good about 
the random technological things that we say not being uh, complete. They might be nonsense, well, but they're not like provably wrong. I should say. We had we had Greg, we had our science consultant, kind of with his hands full on other stuff this episode. Mm. So, which I I guess we'll talk about when we get to it. But um, I guess this was just overlooked because of that. It is a pretty throwaway line. Um, when you when you think of Celsius, it's just you know whatever. Um, that's a real temperature. Yeah. I'm sure it's, this is it's, fine. It's it's not even. I mean, like when when you look at when you look at a temperature in Celsius, um, your eyes kind of glaze over. Right. I your brain just kind of slows to a crawl. And I had assumed that negative two hundred and ninety degrees Celsius was like I don't know sixty degrees Fahrenheit. I yeah. Think. Right. 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 So it, um, I can see why this got overlooked. Now, I, I suppose so. Here's the thing that when people heard that line, more people were kind of wowed by um, the the slight improv there. Uh, the nasty, mm-hmm. right? Because there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing nasty about a temperature. It's just cold, or there's no heat. You know, whatever. <laughs> right, right. Um, what actually happened was uh, that day Denise had to come by the set to pick up some check, some residual check that uh mm-hmm. hadn't been paid out yet. And when she walked in the door, we were actually recording, and you know, Lavar saw her, and that was just his reaction to Denise coming yep. back on the set. Yep. And it was so genuine that it, it for a lot of people, it just didn't register as improv. It was just, oh, that's the script, I guess. Right, right, yeah. No, it was really good. I think I think he spoke for for most of us, at least. Yeah. It we was, all really felt that. You know how they say when there's um, a solar lunar eclipse to you know not look directly at it? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us practiced the same thing when uh, whenever Denise was around. And yes. Lavar not having the warning didn't have that benefit, and that was the result. Yes, yes, it's a, uh, it's a very dangerous game to play. Mm. You start losing your faith in humanity. Well, the thing is, when you work with someone like that every day, you get a little desensitization. But you know, this mm-hmm. far into season two's production, that had worn off. Yeah. It's like when you stop watching ISIS beheading videos for for a little while. Right. I got to get back on that. Come back fresh. I know. I know. It's we haven't had a lot of them recently. It's sad. Um well, they did, you see, start... did you see the one with the two girls? No, no. How was that? Oh, it's a masterpiece. I'll send it to you later. I think we should they should start a GoFundMe to get the production of these back kickstarted. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Maybe we should pitch that to them. Mm. Instead of a GoFundMe, it'd be a GoFund us. ISIS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, yes. You got the branding all figured out. I do. I'm a branding master. Uh, yeah, That's ISIS, why they call you the brander. That's the <laughs> ISIS. Just you know, if you're listening, call me. We can mm-hmm. uh, arrange an arrangement. So shout out to ISIS. Shout out to ISIS. So following uh, this Klingon, um, what does the temperature even have to do with anything? I don't, I don't know. So there's wreckage, they beam it aboard, and it's like, oh, this is a NASA vessel, and they're very far out. Yeah, which Earth. is, you know, you, you do the kind of, um, the, uh, the soy face when you see it. <gasps> oh, it's like yeah. NASA. Which is yeah. ultimately inconsequential to the events of the episode, I feel. <laughs> Completely, is, yes. So that's pretty fucking lame. And I, I enjoy the sheer coincidence that the one piece of wreckage they beam aboard is the piece that has the NASA logo on it. 
<laughs> yeah, they could have just as easily just beamed aboard like a, a, a metal plate with nothing on it. In fact, they could have done that and nothing about this episode would have changed. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> in fact, it, it would have... Imagine that happens. And there's a reveal later on in the episode, like, oh, there's this dead humanoid. It is a human. Yeah. There's this diary. He's from NASA. Oh, my God. Um, the oh, my God. The mystery of it all still wouldn't have been all that meaningful to the events of the episode, but uh, the it would have been paced better, I feel. Exactly. Yes, you are totally right. That is ridiculous. I didn't even think of that. The thing is, they needed a stinger for um, yeah. leading into the intro. Yeah, <laughs> I sometimes sometimes that stinger is our undoing. <laughs> it's a real strange constraint to place on oneself. Yeah, like, like imagine. I, I here's the rationale: there there exists a person who knowingly t- tunes into TNG, will watch the first two minutes, and then make a decision on whether or not they want to yep. watch this new episode or not. You know, it's like, I'm a fan of TNG, but, you know, these two minutes, they weren't really all that, so I'm out. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the the catering to that person has fucked up a lot of scripts over the years. <laughs> a lot of scripts for a lot of shows, and yeah, we, we got the brunt of that quite a bit uh, at TNG. But, so, uh, so, I don't... I don't remember how they decide because I was already kind of checked out. I don't remember how they decide they need to beam down. They identify that there is some kind of storm and that there's a. Um, do they read a life sign down there? Maybe not. Maybe something like that. But they identify that there's a storm and there's a that there's a habitable um, zone inside of the storm. That uh, right. has that is oxygenated or something to that effect. Yeah, that that makes sense. And they say that it's risky, so that they can risk a minimal away team comprised mm. entirely of their top officers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have uh, we have Riker, we have Data, and we have uh, Worf. Um, definitely, probably probably the three most useful guys on the ship. We were actually going to include O'Brien in that. Um, in that away team trying to, you know, expand his role a little bit because mm. he was kind of up and coming. Um, but the writers decided against it from a realism perspective because they, they just couldn't figure out how to, how to write an Irish character that wanted to leave a casino. It was a difficult uh, ask. Yeah. Ultimately it, it, we would have had to leave O'Brien in the casino and just cut his character completely. So in the interest of having him in further episodes, um, the writers cut that, but yes, like most episodes, we have uh, the three most valuable people on the ship beam down to um, an unknown location in the middle of a storm um, that's that's raging at below absolute zero. Then they beam down to a literal black void. Nobody sees a problem with this. None of the characters think that's strange at all. But- mm-hmm. And then they see the the revolving door that we spoke so highly of. Yep. And they say, fuck it. Let's just go in. So they do. And they enter this casino. uh, This hotel casino. Now, here's the thing. 
Um, they know they've lost contact with the Enterprise, but they make no attempt to leave the casino at first. Riker's like, oh, this mm-hmm. seems fun. Let's just hang around. Yes. Which, and not, not only that, but Troy can feel yes. that. <laughs> yeah. No communications can get through, but Troy's empathy readings, not at all um, masked by the thousands of people on the ship that are closer to her in proximity. And... But she remarks, or maybe Picard remarks, how it's out of character for Riker to not immediately seek... Um, to reestablish contact with the Enterprise by leaving that yeah. location. And the assumption is that, like, something happened to stop Riker from acting as he usually would. But no, nothing happened. Riker just acts out of character, as stated by the characters of the show. Mm-hmm. There's actually a a line near the end of the episode where Picard says, don't get out of character, Commander. Yes. He, he, he commands him to... So, I don't know if this is all a commentary on some kind of metafiction... Interesting, you know, but uh, two very weird lines, both uttered by the same person. Uh, but yes, Troy can feel that far away, and I'm glad she can because I would have thought I would have been worried about Riker if I didn't know he was he was feeling playful, amused. Yeah, <laughs> with you, this is ostensibly Troy showing her usefulness for once, but. Her informing Picard of the situation does nothing to actually affect things. Picard doesn't take... Yeah, well, I, I guess it saves people the trouble of, of worrying about it for a while. I guess. You know? Uh, I do I do want to meet the individual who watched this episode, and until Troy cleared it up for them, was on the edge of their seat, like, no, Riker's in the casino. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she's for. That's why, she, that's why your character exists. And then when things take a darker turn she's like oh no right now riker's feeling anxious <laughs> now riker's sad <laughs> you can't have your characters to say how they feel <laughs> he starts acting in character the idea that they cannot leave the royale i don't think is ever really expanded upon of why that has that effect like um yeah because they can't know they try to leave and they just reappear on the other side of the revolving door through some trick photography and um it's never quite explained why there's this uh rather arbitrary condition of being able to leave the hotel because if it's yeah i know so if, if it's supposed to be a safety mechanism. It's like, oh, it's dangerous outside. We're we aliens. We built this to protect this one astronaut, so he can't leave. Then why is there a victory condition under which yes. they can leave? Yes, that's exactly the question I was going to ask. Why make it a game if the idea is is to protect the astronaut from, I guess, his own actions from from wandering into the uh, sub sub zero storm? Congratulations. We tried to make amends for killing your friends. Uh, and we made a death game where if you win, you earn the sweet release from the prison that we built for you. Yes. Um, so, and this this gets into the territory of, I guess, the whole concept of the episode, which I took umbrage with. You know, these are, we never see the aliens. We don't know anything about them. But what we do know is they must have had some kind of intelligence. And intelligence um, either equal to above the human intelligence. 
it would have to be above the things that they're capable of mm -hmm. they've kind of generated a non-euclidean space they have mm -hmm. made uh entities that can think that are neither man nor machine as stated and they've created a localized time loop yes so basically q level stuff yes and to think that they would be fooled to, to think that they had no idea what a piece of fiction was is is mind-blowingly stupid i like to think that they have to be so far advanced like extremely advanced to look at those astronauts like somebody would look at a um like a baby bird that fell out of a tree. Yeah, like a squirrel, yeah. Yeah, where it's like you don't... You're so far below us that the bare... The base amount of um, comfort will last you for decades with no adverse effects. Like, I'll put a wheel in here and you're good to go. You can run mm -hmm. on that and uh, that's all I need to do. Poke some holes in the box and that's fine. Um, I don't know, but even Q understands the, the proclivities of human beings, you know? True. He does like to play dress-up. To, to, um, to look at a culture like humanity and not see some kind of sapience beyond the, the, the hamster wheel idea is, I think, it betrays a kind of ignorance that I don't think even a, an out-of-touch alien race that's that's way beyond our intelligence would 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 portray you know true uh you have examples in both q nagilam yeah um, of higher level beings recognizing humanity for what it is so yeah this is ridiculous i buy that yeah, yeah. but i do appreciate the the irony of um of a man being trapped in a horrible novel for the rest of his life it is, it pretty is kind funny. of funny what I like a lot about that reveal is that it recontextualizes um, some, I don't know if I would say embarrassing or ridiculous moments as overtly comical. Uh, mm -hmm. Namely, the, the the novel's characters, their conversations. You, the first time you watch it, you, you kind of scratch in your head like, what what are they doing? Yeah. Um, and like the score kicks in and it's just <laughs> you, you you don't know if you're laughing with the show or at the show and then right. they're like oh this this novel is a cliche uh, rag and you're like oh that oh it is i'm laughing with the show okay right 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 because the show's not sincere and if you're not sincere you can't be criticized <laughs> right indeed kind of like our uh, our friends jay and mike also big Star Trek fans. Yes, both of them. Mm -hmm. um, our, I invited them to our barbecue this past summer. I assumed that my my text got lost in the mail. Yeah, it must have been. They, they're, not, they're not ones to decline an offer like that. No, it was an offer that they couldn't refuse. I, um, I mentioned that I was going to be making both burgers and hot dogs. So, ah, yes. and did you tell them you'd stop being their friend if they didn't come? Uh, no, but it was implied my use of uh, emoji gotcha yeah actually yep. the entire message was written in emoji but it, you know it's more emphatic that way yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that's why we have them. Mm. That's why they're called MOGs. Right, right. They're um, um, motion on jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more of a J than a G, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the... Um, what was I about to say? Oh, yeah, the, the, the Royale, the novel, um, has, like, an interesting... Pretty, I think it's interesting. An interesting story behind it. So, everybody knows Gene Roddenberry. Or they know of him. They knew of him. Because he's dead. Yes. He He, he is dead now. He created Star Trek. If you didn't know. But he was also just a general creative. And, you know, he sometimes would just write novels, published or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And one day, somebody was uh, poking around his office after he kind of stopped being so involved with TNG. And they found an un- unpublished novel written by Gene. Now, the name of it wasn't The Royale, but, you know, we took it back to the writer's room, busted out a few drinks, started reading it, laughing, <laughs> having a good time. This went on into the wee hours of the night. And a lot of the commentary that you hear from the TNG characters about The Royale mm-hmm. novel was just direct lines from that group read session of Gene's novel. <laughs> so in a that's in, great in a way this episode was just a send-up uh to gene in a lot of ways that's incredible and i i imagine uh he was none the wiser of course he was not he was not i mean you can't just tell gene oh gene i raided your office you know looking for an explanation but um <laughs> yeah it's it oh that was a fun night that's great i'm sorry i missed that you would have loved it um, what what we did was we kind of had a rotation system going where somebody would read a page, then they would pass the book along to the next person. And after the next person had a book, they, the person who was reading would do a shot. And that kind of went in a circle for the longest time. And uh, it didn't take okay, long. Okay, so, so you rotated reading and shots. Right. You read a page, pass the book, do a shot. Ah. Uh, super fun. Sounds great. Man, you know, that, that that puts this episode in a whole new light, doesn't it? It does, it does. Now, that was just... Maybe the, it's not so bad. That was just the writers, though. I mean, we still have all that drama with the actors and the frakes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, as as we talked about the sets and all yeah. that, that junk, yeah. So not everyone was in on the joke, as it were, but... Yeah. If you knew, you knew. Yeah, as as usual, and that's why we're here, so the ensigns know. And now they know. If they know, they know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what else happens? They, they spent some time gambling. I liked how um, this was kind of a natural progression of Data's fascination with, with poker. Data seems to get a lot of this development, where one episode introduces something to him, and he follows up on it like later on. I mean, it's helped by the fact that Data is the most interesting character on the show. <laughs> Yeah, but, and the most blank slate, I suppose. Right, but I'll admit, I I do like that, how this is um, a callback or a payoff to something from an earlier episode, but I do take umbrage with Data's complete misunderstanding <laughs> of, of yes. strategy. Yes. Especially with Blackjack, which has no yes. nuance to it at all. It is just probability and... When he first starts playing, Data's like, well, if I'm to reach 21, I must hit in this position. 
And then he, you know, disregarding the odds of hitting, of not busting versus the odds of the dealer busting. And, you know, he just wins anyway, which is yep. a complete mis- misfire on what Data's strength should be. Data shouldn't be lucky. He should just be probabilistic. Um, yes. But then later on in the episode, <laughs> when he's, he gives advice to the woman who was yes. playing Blackjack, and he's like, well... It's it, completely wrong. Right. It's... That's not... Oh, I'm unfamiliar with a poker face, so I got bluffed. Which makes sense that Data wouldn't have that element of strategy down. But this is just math. Yeah, yeah. Just a complete lack of understanding on the writer's part how to play poker. Um, that that woman, actually... I guess this was one of the more surrealist aspects of, of Tracy's first draft of the script. Hmm. Um, which Maurice, as we talked about, was not not really happy with um the the idea that that a woman could hold her own in a game of blackjack you know we had her playing at that table as an equal right initially or, or tracy did um and we ended up tapping greg um as as i had said before our science consultant who did confirm for us that the female brain was indeed incapable of processing the uh the basic math required for most card games so we ended up you know, making making I think a more realistic depiction of a woman at a poker table, right? I mean, uh, where she's kind of you know nudging the guy next to her for for advice the whole time. You have to remember, it's Star Trek is science fiction; it's not fantasy. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, although I think we could have taken some liberties. I mean, we show successful women all the time in TNG. True, but how often are they successful with uh, with math related? I guess that's true. They they are they are genuinely successful with with more uh, more female oriented things, right? Such as um, reading emotions, um, being a mother, babies, yep, um, arranging flowers, crew. yeah, yeah, all the usual stuff. Uh, I, yes, I the, let me ask you something. Going to the gambling again. Yeah. The the final hurrah for the gambling where Data goes to the craps table. Yeah. Did you feel offended after there was a solid two minutes of just wasted time where Data throws the dice? It it doesn't like get the perfect result. Then he talks to Riker. Riker says, just fucking <laughs> cheat. And Data says, well, I guess these die are unbalanced. I guess I will balance them. And then like, oh my crushes them a bit and then just throws you know, 17 winning uh, die rolls in a row. Um, was I offended? I don't know if I'd go that far. But it was stupid. It was stupid. And it's logically stupid, too. Because just because the die are unbalanced doesn't mean Data couldn't accommodate for that with his throw rather than like having mm-hmm. to do this more unrealistic thing of like crushing them into balance with his hand <laughs> and the the whole conceit of it is stupid they're buying the casino right based solely on the fact that that is what happens in the book i guess <laughs> yeah i guess which i mean internally makes sense but it's just such a stupid such a stupid plot point for for an episode 
based in a casino. I don't I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Now, the first time they walked into the casino and I saw this on set before I'd read the script, I knew I said to myself, they're going to have to gamble their way out of this. Yeah, yeah. And then they did. And um Yep. I felt I, I was going to say I'd feel smart, but that's just the the most obvious uh way to take this. It's and, obvious and it could have been good. But it, it, in practice, it just didn't work. It could have been good if it was gambling, and yeah. Riker has to use his poker face skills. Right. Know. Right, no. if it was earned. Right. right? Not, not just data cheating. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's no suspense at all. Everyone's cheering them. All right. There's, there's no, no conflict here. Let's, let's write this again. So um, let's rewrite this this climax. Okay. So it's changed the game to poker, and both or all three of them, Worf, Riker, and Data, they get their chips and they go out to different tables, and um, it, it, kind of a montage of cutting between them playing the game in different ways. Like Riker, he's like bluffing somebody with his poker face. Um, Data goes on about probability; he wins a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf kind of intimidates and strong arms a guy in the folding um, and it's just you know this montage like sequence the, their chips pile up and they win the money through their cunning skills and and character traits um, maybe there's a hand where Riker goes all in and uh, mm-hmm. there's some tension there in the cards and it's like Commander, yeah. how did you know that um, <laughs> the final card would be an ace <laughs> And, you know, sometimes, Data, you just have to trust the poker gods. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I, I would like to add to that. They have to be playing against Mickey D. Yes. Um, yes. Who is, who, is, who is revealed to be the owner. That's it. Okay. Uh, okay. Got, okay. So they're at three different tables. Uh, they're all winning. And then Mickey D sees this. This is suspicious. And he comes in and he says, okay, you, you big rollers. How about you step up to the, to the owner's table? You three yep. and me, and then Mickey D like gradually knocks Data and Worf out of the game, um, and it's just Riker and Mickey D left, and then there's this Rounders style uh, final hand of all I'm all in, and like you know whatever. Or you know what you know what go through one loop where they lose and they realize the house is cheating or something. Oh somehow. my god, this is that's uh, that's good. And and then they do the next loop and they they know and then they play the actual real game like you know no no cheating against against Mickey D. Mm. This that's good. That's good. You know, Look, this, we got stakes. The episode would have an antagonist, which yep. is something. Yeah. Maybe he even knows. Maybe Mickey D is like self-aware. Oh my god. Or something. And and he wants he wants to keep them trapped there because he's stuck there too. Okay. You know, I've been waiting for the foreign investors for hundreds of years now. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Now, I'm just getting angry, Mitch. <laughs> I, mean, I could see this version requiring a restructuring of things because it, it demands a lot of time. Yeah. But, you know, it just cut all the scenes of Worf pushing walls limply. Right. And you'll have you'll have the time. Right. They... They could have cut some scenes on the bridge. The Troy um, stuff. Yeah. What else could they have cut? You know what would work? Maybe. 
some of the well yeah. I, let me just get this one point out and then I'll, I'll i'll let you go but um they they could have cut kind of the uh the games that they played for laughs you know what i mean like the the, the whole thing with texas and the woman who was yep. stupid yep they could have cut that and, and replaced it with something with a little more stakes maybe or done that but actually have it serve a purpose to the plot how about this they cut literally every interaction with the the enterprise the crew on the enterprise uh playing yeah. up like okay communications are severed yeah we can't get yeah. through there's more of a heightened mystery here the audience is separated from picard and everyone else they feel a little uncomfortable and mm -hmm. um that combined with like cutting the more silly text stuff uh plenty of time to add in the time loop element create an antagonist uh have an actual triumph moment yep Yep, that's perfect. All right, that, <laughs> we just solved this episode. That's what Picard season two should have been: is uh, reimagining a lot of <laughs> bad TNG episodes. It should have. They should have tapped us a little bit more, yes. you know. Instead of you know, not that we didn't do an important job on Picard two, but we could have always done more if we had more creative uh, decision making. Power. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. Um, uh, and, you know, I think that says all all we can really say about how we felt about this episode. Yeah, I, I, I'm certainly more enamored by our version of it. I, I am, too. It sounds much better. Uh, I, uh, I guess I'll restate my thoughts on it for, for the ending. This episode mm -hmm. was not terrible. It was the most 50% average episode I can, could, I can conceive of. Yep. Yep. And we've in in our in our hashing it out here, we've really driven home the fact that this this episode had no antagonist. It had very few stakes. Yes. Um very little intrigue, very little interesting mystery to it. Um and I think the the best thing it had going for it was a few little comedy moments which uh you know, if I missed them if I missed this episode, I, I wouldn't really uh, be be too sad about it. No, you can definitely skip this episode. Yeah. So uh, for all you ensigns who who listened to this before you watched the episode, be our guest. Go ahead and skip it. This one's on us. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. We already. Yeah, we already gave you a better one. Right. You're welcome. So what do you got from me? Um, well, you know, I couldn't figure out, let me, let me grab this. Thing. Just to reintroduce, we're talking about the comic book, Star Trek Mirror Broken, did, which features an alternate universe Picard with a beard who's mean. Did you, did you hear that? It was the sound of a million ensigns closing the podcast. <laughs> um, I can't figure out how to ask you a question about this character. Um, in, in all the ways that I want to describe what's going on. So I'm going to ask you kind of a stupid question. Sure. I love those. What is Mirror Universe Wesley's haircut? Mohawk. Uh, you're close. I'll give you one more. I, I kind of want to say an inverse mohawk where it's just shaved down the middle. but <laughs> <laughs> um, it, Spiked in some way? Yep. Spiky and gelled up. Yep. Yeah. 
There we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got it. And I know this That's is it. this is a portal for you to tell me about uh, Mirror Mirror Wesley Crusher. So just go off. Yeah. So so um, Doctor Crusher is stationed on the Enterprise when uh, Picard steals it, mm-hmm. and of course her son Wesley is there, and he pretends to be retarded. I guess he's introduced and he's like, he's like insane and stupid. And he's just sitting there like hunched over in his chair. Mm -hmm. And then, and then Picard says something like, okay, you can drop the act now, Wesley. And then he becomes the smartest person on the ship. Is there an explanation given for this? No, um, I don't think so. I don't know if this is meant to deflect I, I don't I don't know what this could possibly serve for Wesley to pretend he's retarded in the mirror universe. Uh, you would think they would just have killed him, you know? Had he been retarded. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's serving Dr. Crusher in some way. Maybe, I don't know, allowing her to keep him around? Doesn't make any sense to me. But I, I found the introduction of his character absolutely ridiculous. I assume that this is supposed to be old Wesley acts smart in the normal universe, so he should act stupid. And <laughs> but that if that was the case, it would just act, him actually being stupid. Right, right. Now you would think Wesley would have been born a girl in the mirror universe. Everyone should. He, he probably he probably should have been born a girl no matter what. Probably would have worked out better for him. Well, I I would have felt less guilty about masturbating to him in that case. Mm, that's true, and. Well, let's just let, let's not go there. Yeah, let's not. That's this trivia this time. Episode. Um, so is Wesley more sufferable in the mirror universe? No, he kind of just like um, he kind of like poker faces everything. Hmm. But he's like, oh, I I ran the numbers on whatever, and he, you know, he's 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 a genius still. He's he's still a little piece of shit. Does he save the day? Um, no, okay. I don't think so. Does he, does he have a moment of falling in love? I don't know if there's a day to be saved in the mirror universe. <laughs> Do they go around ruining days? Kind of. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the mirror universe. Right. It's like so, opposite day. So are they like a, just a ship of brigands or something? Nah, I don't know. I mean, they, they are part of some kind of, uh, earth military organization, but they, they betray their allies quite often. That's so funny to me. I just love this <laughs> this idea of um, a coalition in the mirror universe of everyone backstabbing each other. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then, of course, the conceit of the comic is that Picard needs a team he can trust, which is just so counter, right, to the the, the nature of human beings in this in this world. Do uh, mirror universe Klingons exist? Are they? Yes, they're allied with the Rom. Romulans, I believe. Okay. Now, do, do the, is their culture completely different? No. Oh, so I don't think so. They're still just honor and the. Uh... I mean, we don't see them, so we maybe they are different. Do we see Worf? No, Worf isn't in this universe. Well, he is, but he's not. I guess he's not part of the. I guess that would make sense if it's like Romulans and Klingons allied like you said instead of Klingons and humans so why would Worf be with the human crew right right interesting 
So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll find out what what mirror universe Klingons are like. Well, I hope that Dorf is canon in the uh, mirror universe. I hope so too. I mean, for everyone's sake. Right. Well, maybe we'll find out next week on our next installment of Brandon reads us a comic book. Um, in- <laughs> um, well, I'm looking forward to that. It's always my favorite part of the show, especially as I mm-hmm. continue this streak of getting you know some of them correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully next week we have a better episode of Star Trek to talk about at the very least. But I sure hope so. It's still season two, so probably not. <laughs> but be sure to join us then. Uh, you guys at home, you wonderful, beautiful ensigns, you bring your best to the show. We'll, we'll match that best with our countless, undeniable energy. And until then, everybody, I implore you to keep those around you safe, to stay vigilant, and as always, stay readier at Denny's. The troublesome little man child. that in the history of many worlds there have always been disposable creatures. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I stroke the beard thusly. Intellectual. Computer. Freeze program. It's not a promising beginning. Beginning. Beginning.